we've been talking about the power of story, and um, this is kind of the third week on the trot I've been talking, so it's kind of a, it's building on the other two, so um, I'm going to quickly review it, but if you want to get the fullness of it, they're online somewhere on our Facebook page or website or wherever else. Um, but we've been exploring these words. Here you were seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And we said that God is in the retelling business. God's in the renewal and restoration and reconciliation. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is that he's to restore, to renew, to reconcile, to redeem, to retell. And it's his heart to retell everything. Because I showed you a few weeks ago, there's like Jesus, Paul, Peter, they all write about all things. God wants to restore and retell all things. So your story, your life's been told in one way, as in you have a version of your life. So your story's been told in a way. You look back, if you had to sit down and tell somebody your story, you would tell it in a certain way. You'd, you'd see, tell certain events in certain lights. You might miss out on certain events. You would definitely include certain events. But what if your story could be told through a different lens? What if it could be told from a different perspective? What if you could be healed of the pain and there could be a totally different way to tell your story? Because I believe there is a different way to tell your story. There's a new way and a fresh way and a beautiful way, and I know it because mine's been retold. We've all got our stories, the story of our journey through this thing we call life. But I believe there's a new perspective and a different perspective we can get. And he wants to do it in every part of your life. Every part of your life he wants to retell in a new and beautiful way from his perspective. Because as I'm going to show you, there's God's perspective and then there's your perspective. And we tell the story of our lives often from our perspective. But actually the journey of the Christian faith is learning to see your story, past, present and future, according to how he sees it. That's actually really the journey of the, the Christian life. But often when we hear about God restoring and renewing, we often think about external things. So we, we think, oh, God's going to restore it. That means he's going to put this back together. That means this job's going to come up. That means I'm going to go back to this place. But I'm, I'm not quite sure that's what it means primarily because what God wants to do is to transform us, to change us, to redeem us, to restore us, to renew us. The, the most thing he wants to do is to reconcile you with you. Although, although he wants reconciliation all around, initially he wants to reconcile you with who you really are. Before a load of crap happened, basically. So, so we've got to go, okay, that's... And in what happens, though, is in the process of you being reconciled, lots of reconciliation happens. But lots of people think that it starts outside and comes in, but it doesn't. It starts inside and goes out. It's the only way it can work. So let me recap some of the things I've already shared. So next slide, Josh. We've got this. So there's an event, then there's a story, then there's a destiny. So we said, didn't we, this morning is an event. And you will all have a story about this event. All your stories may well be different because they're from your perspective. And you carry filters, you carry lenses, you carry all sorts of ways of looking at things. So you might hate country music, in which case it was rubbish at start, wasn't it? You might love country music, in which case it was brilliant. But do you, you understand, just that simple filter determines a different story about an event. And of course, what we've got to learn to do in this environment, this thing we call church, is to look past all our personal preferences, because that's not really important. What's important is finding Jesus in it and giving up those preferences to Jesus. Which is sometimes why we do things like that. You realize some of those things God puts in our mind to do. So if you hate country music, it, it, it's, that's actually a God thing, perhaps. 
Because God wants to know, do you love me enough to get past your hate of country music? No, but really, we go, oh, Phil got it wrong this morning. No, maybe Phil got it absolutely bang on. And the whole point is you have to get past the fact of the style of music and whether that's going to connect you with God or not. Josh, can you put some lights on? I feel like I'm in dark. Is it, that's bad. There we go. I feel like it's a bit dim. We don't want to teach in dimness, do we? Okay, and I showed you last week that many of us believe that we are shaped and formed by our experiences, but that's not actually true. Because it's not what we experience that defines us, it's how we remember what we've experienced. Because you've, and I realize you've all experienced this morning. How you remember it then defines you and defines your future and what you think about things. Psychologically, our experiences count very little in terms of how we think about our lives. That's not to say that we do not have painful and traumatic experiences. But in the end, our experiences are not the dominant force in how we think about our lives. It's how we remember what we choose to remember that tells our story. And what most of us fail to realize is that it is our power to retell our story. That's the key thing. It's your power to retell your story. The version of events we currently hold and the stories we currently tell about past, present, and future events is a story, but it's not the story. It's just a story. And that goes for past, present, and future. So the story you tell about your future is a story. You might decide your future's rubbish. You might decide because of this, that, and the other, I've got no future. Well, there's a different story. It says you've got a wonderful future, a fantastic future. You've got a future that gives you a hope. That's his story. Your future might be, I'm going to make tons of money and enjoy it. His story might be, you're going to make tons of money and give it all away. But there's his story. And then there's your story. And the question, of course, is which version of the story you'll choose to believe. So last week we looked at some verses in the book of Genesis at the beginning of the Bible and explored some things. And I want to explore them again, but from a different angle. I want to remind you of the original story, the story that God has written about your life. But before we do that, let me be really, really clear on what I'm talking about. Let me try and make it even clearer. You can't change any of the events that have happened in your life. I can't change them. So nothing that's happened to me, I can't change my parents, my upbringing, my school, my jobs, my relationships. I can't, any events that happened, can't change the fact that I got knocked off my bike when I was 14. And, you know, or terrible, I can't change any of it. But... I can change how I see it. And most importantly, I can change how it defines me. That's what I can change. And that's what I mean. <clears throat> that's what I mean by retelling your story. Because the events of our lives don't just shape us, they also define us. And in the defining, you become something you were not meant to be. Because what happens is we walk through life... And the various events that go on in our lives and the different for all of us and the impact of us in different ways. But when I talk about being made new and how we remember those events, I'm not suggesting we create a different set of facts. I'm not suggesting we deny what happened in the past. I'm just suggesting we take what happened and put a different filter on it. All these, like these lights, some of them have got red and orange and pink filters on and it changes the light. That's all I'm saying. You put a different filter on that allows you to see in a different way. And of course, so I'm not, I'm not talking about us suggesting a different set of facts or brushing the harsh reality under the carpet. No, I'm actually saying the opposite. 
because you have to share the facts of your story because it can only be retold if it's first been told. Do you understand? If you want your story to be retold a different way, you have to first tell it. And, and that's not just a that's not just a one-time thing. Just this week, Friday afternoon, saw Victoria in the cafe. I was sat one of Victoria with my journal, writing the story of the last two weeks for me, because I wanted it to be retold. So I'm not just talking, and this is a continual, constant thing for me. I probably spent four or five hours this week just retelling the last two weeks. Because I know that if I don't do that, the story that I've felt, the story that I've experienced, the story that I've heard, it'll sit on me. And it'll cling to me and it'll start to define me. And I don't want it to do that. So I roll it all out. This is, this is my version of the story. This is how I, f- I don't know why I'm doing it with my left hand because I can't do that. But anyway, there we go. That's feel bad. And I can't hold a mic with my left hand. Never mind. Um, so I roll And then I wrote God's version of my story. Literally the last two weeks of my story I retold. Because I know if I don't do that, I'll start to believe a different story. I realized I had some, some frustration in there. I, had, I actually realized there was a bit of anger in there. And after talking it through and then writing it out, okay, God, I give it all to you. Thank you, that's not me. I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. You see, the stories around those events of our lives cause us to believe certain things about us. Things like we're unloved, rejected, unworthy, dirty, ashamed, broken, poor, stupid, a failure, whatever it may be. But the truth is, that's not true. That's how you interpreted those events, but God interprets them in a completely different way. And in the light and love of Jesus, he makes all things new because he wants to write a new chapter with you where you come to see the events of your past don't define you in the ways that they did. That's what it means to be made new. And I said last week, the first few chapters of the Bible are my favorite ones. I think because they express to me so clearly the heart of God. I love Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And of course, you might know the story, God speaks and creates all sorts of things and, and then human beings get created and this talking snake comes along and then they eat an apple and then they get kicked out. And um, of course, some people think those first few chapters are a literal real story with real people in a real place. Uh, they think there was a real Garden of Eden and if they dig long enough, they'll find it. Others was hold, and they may be right, I have no idea. Others would hold that it's a 5,000-year-old creation story that shouldn't be taken literally, but as a story which holds deep meaning and purpose about the heart of God and how things are supposed to be. What's fascinating is how people get sidetracked with the unimportant. There's a, I read as I was researching this that in 2014, I think, one chariot, and their aim is to prove that this is literal, got given $27 million to prove that this is literal. Now, I'm sorry, but I can think of better things to spend $27 million on, can't you? How about helping the poor in the city? How about relieving fuel poverty? I mean, it doesn't take any... Whether it's literal or not, whether we made it in seven days, whether they really were a talking snake, it doesn't take anything away from the story. It's completely the wrong questions. It doesn't help you. When I read it, I'm not going, ooh, well, they're a real Adam and Eve. Where is the Garden of Eden? It's a pointless question anyway. So what if there were? What difference does it make? How does it help you deal with what's going on in your life? It doesn't. But when you read it as a story that tells of the heart of God and tells of God's original design and tells of how conflicting stories and what happens when we believe conflicting stories, then it comes alive. Then the Bible's a story that lives forever. But we've got to ask the right questions. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. God created human beings in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, I believe everybody is a human being, I think, looking at you all. You look like you're coming to that classification. So you can say this. So God created me. Go on. God created me in his own image. In the image of God, he created me. Let's not do male and female, he created me. That won't be good because that might confuse you. But, but he did give you qualities of both. That's the truth. He gave you qualities of both. But this is my belief about you and every person that's ever been born, that you were created in God's image, which means that what God's like, not in your head, because you might not have a right version of it, but as revealed in this Bible. And really, if you want to know what Jesus is, God's really like, you have to look at Jesus and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see how Jesus was. You have to look at how Jesus interacted with people, how he met people, how he treated people, because Jesus said, if you want to know the Father, look at me. He went, I am the expression of the Father on the face of the earth. So when I talk about what God's, God's image, you're made in the image of Jesus. And everywhere Jesus went, he was this gentle, beautiful, passionate, kind, like full-on, sold-out, amazing, just dream man. So you were created in his image. And there are some key things about this, which we, we talked about many times before, but I want to talk to you about them again. Have we got them there, Josh? There, is, there are three things that Adam had that you were built to need. They're like three key things in you. Significance, security, and self-worth. Or we can call it acceptance because it's maybe an easy way to understand it. First of all, God gave Adam a purpose for being. So many people are going, why am I here? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Well, God, Adam knew why he existed because God told him, rule over the birds of the sky, the beasts of the field, and the fish of the sea and tend to it. He knew where I existed, to serve God and to look after the world around him. He had a purpose. And then he, had to, he was totally safe and secure in God's presence. Everything he needed was provided for. Food, shelter, companionship. He had no concept of what a need was. He didn't know what a need was. Secure in his environment, secure in his relationships, secure in his purpose and secure in himself. And then he was accepted. He had an intimate relationship with God. He could talk with him at any time, have his full attention. He knew who was, God was and God was around. Then God created Eve for Adam too. He had a sense of belonging and worth, not just to God, but to another human being. Because God, when it's not good for you to be alone. And he was just on his own with God. And everybody else goes, I just want to be on my own with God. And God goes, no, that's not good. Me and you alone is not good. We need somebody else. We need family. We need community. We need friendship. We need relationship. They were accepted and valued by God and each other. It says they were naked and unashamed. Nothing to hide, nothing to cover up. Which is a way of saying they were completely open and completely transparent. They had an intimate relationship with each other in the presence of God. You were built for that same thing. Because you want to be completely intimate and completely transparent, but fear stops you. You want to share with somebody what's going on in your heart and your life, but fear stops you. Fear of what they might think, fear of how they might respond, fear of being judged, fear of all that, it stops you. But deep down, you want that because you're built for it. You were designed for that kind of life. Complete security, a real purpose. No need to worry about anything. A sense of belonging to God and to other people. Don't tell me that doesn't sound good. Huh? And you know it sounds good because it's in you. You were built for it. That's why it feels good. Because your spirit goes, yes, I know that's good. And you see, real life 
comes from passionately pursuing the reclamation of those three things. So many people chase after so many different things, but the only thing that will actually bring you life is when you pursue passionately the reclamation of your significant security and self-esteem in the Father, in Him. And we get it from other people, but ultimately it has to be found in Him. This is the original story about you, the real story about you. But as we see from the story in Genesis, when we believe a different story about our lives, we experience very different emotions. So according to the story, there comes a conflicting voice, Genesis in chapter 3. And I read it last week, but it's up there if you want to read it. Essentially, this voice comes in, and, and, and if you read other creation stories like the Gigglemash and the Babylonian epic, these are all creation stories that were around in, in Mesopotamia about the same time as Genesis was conceived, then you read that actually a talking snake is found in lots of stories because it was a, a, a literary way of just expressing a voice. And what I find fascinating is this. Stories have power whether they're real or not. Jesus told tons of stories. And nobody ever said about Jesus' stories, well, well, they're a real man and two sons. Did they? They knew it was a story. So why do we get hooked up about this story having to be real for it to be true? I mean, it may well be true, please. I don't know. But we don't need to get hooked up over whether it is true for it to be a great story. Everybody looks at the parable of the prodigal son. For example, it's about a father and two sons, and they go away. And everybody goes, oh, that's a beautiful picture. But nobody asks where he lived or whether he existed or not because it's a story. Do they? So why, when we get to Genesis, do we ask those same silly... Do you see why they're daft questions to ask? Sorry, they're not daft questions, but they're not the wisest questions to ask if you want to find some life in it. They're definitely not worth spending $27 million on. Oh, give me strength, Lord, give me strength. Anyways, the point is that there's more than one story. There's a true story. There's God's story. The one where Adam, God gives Adam free reign over all of creation to enjoy it and tend to it. And then there's a different story. Because a conflicting voice appears that suggests this God isn't really that kind because he's keeping something from you. You notice he points out what they don't have, not what they do have. Same old story all the time in your head. Your head always tells you what you don't have rather than what you do have. Comes along and goes, ah, you've got all this, but, but there's this one. You can't have this one. And what happens is Adam and Eve choose to follow a different plot and a different story, which very quickly becomes a dark and painful story. But what's most beautiful is God's response. When they choose to believe a different story, God responds in the most beautiful and gentle way. I love these verses because it just shows the heart of God that I've, I know and have come up with experienced and come up with that share. Firstly, he comes looking for them. He's asking, where are you? He's not mad. He's not cross. He's not angry. I want you to know this morning, if you have believed a different story and you sense the emotions that I'm going to talk about in a minute, God is not upset or angry or cross. He's not coming looking to whack you over the head. He's coming looking because he wants to draw you up in his arms and tell you that he's got a different story. That's why he comes looking. And he says there, look, I heard you in the garden, and he said, who told you you were naked? In other words, hang on a minute, that's not my story. My story is not that you're naked. My story is that you're clothed in my love and my grace and my beauty and my goodness. What, what, what's going on there? In other words, he says, who have you allowed to narrate your story? Who have you been listening to? Because that's not my story about you. And what happened to Adam and Eve when they allowed a different voice to narrate their story is exactly the same as what happens to us. Whenever you listen to a different story, the consequences are always the same and they're all mapped out in these few verses. First of all, they lose. Have you got it there, Josh? First of all, they lose 
their knowledge of God. The wisdom of God's no longer in them. They're left to discover their identity, purpose, and meaning in life independently of him, which is pertinently true when Adam tries to play hide-and-seek with a God who's all-knowing and all-seeing. Like, you know you've lost something when you try and do that. You know you've lost a connection, an understanding, a sense of something. Because to be in relationship with God was to know God. When Adam and Eve listened to a different voice, they lost that knowledge of him. And listen, knowledge of God, it's not an either-or thing. Like, nothing in the kingdom's either-or. We think it's like, do I love Jesus or do I? Do I love, do I not love? It's all about degrees. It's all about scales. Because there's always more. None of it's about yes, no, on, off, black, white. It's all about degrees. So, when you believe a different story than the one the Father tells you, you lose a sense of the knowledge of him. It makes it hard for you to connect with him, to sense him, to know his love and his care. Even when you've, you've kind of got the intimate connection to Jesus, in other words, you know him and you've come to love him and he's loving you and you're enjoying it, you can only fully come to an understanding of him when you have given up all your inferior stories. All of them. In order to fully know God and fully understand him and fully grasp what he's got for you, you have to give up every single one of your inferior stories. All of them. That's why sometimes we feel disconnected. That's why sometimes we feel like, oh God, he's not there, he's gone. We say some weird stuff, don't we? He's gone. Well, where's he gone? He owns the whole earth and the universe. Like, he's not going to have a cup of tea. He's not like, do you get me? Like, we say some nonsense. Like, well, God's left me. It's impossible. It's not possible for that to happen. If he were with you when you weren't looking for him, how much more is he going to be with you when you were looking for him? And when Adam tried to play hide and seek, God played the finder, not the hider. Like, God's, God's looking for you. God's finding you all the time. He's never gone anywhere. What you mean is, I can't sense him how I used to sense him. Or I don't feel him, even though the Bible talks nothing about feelings in the entire book. But anyways, we talk this stuff. It doesn't. You tell me what it says. I'm going to feel God. It doesn't. It talks about knowing him. That's what it talks about all the time. I want to know Christ. You see... Too many people find Jesus, but then keep hold of their inferior stories and therefore never come to a fullness of knowledge of Jesus. Coming to Jesus is just the first step. Then there's a whole host of stories you've got to give up about how you see your life. But when they believed a different story, they experienced a host of negative emotions, none of which were God's story about them. And the same is true about us. So first of all, they felt fearful. Josh, you've got there. They felt fearful and anxious. The first emotion expressed by Adam is, I was afraid. Did you know anxiety disorders are the number one mental health problem in the world? It's hard to imagine, but Adam and Eve had no irrational fears until they believed a different story. And we are born with a driving need to get back to that position of security that they lost. I want to tell you, anxiety comes from believing a different story. Ultimately, I realize it's got many layers to it. I realize it's not quite that simple. But ultimately, when you drill down to it, anxiety comes from believing a different story. That's where it comes from. As does fear. And again, it's not either or, black, white, on, off. It's a relationship that has depth and levels. And each time you give up your inferior story, you go deeper in a relationship with him. That's what I know. Each time you give up one inferior story... That's not God's story about you, your version of events, if you like. Each time you give that up, you go to a new depth in a relationship and a new depth and a new depth. But every time you have to give up a story to go deeper. Because it's only as you give up a story that you can go deeper. It's the only way. Oh, I need something. 
Next one, they felt guilty and ashamed. Originally, they had a sense of significance. But when you believe a different story, that significance becomes replaced by a sense of guilt and shame. What had been an attribute of Adam and Eve becomes a glaring need in us. And we all carry around with us, at some level, a sense of shame and guilt about things we've got wrong or things we haven't done. That's just the reality. But the truth is that, like Adam and Eve, it causes us to hide away and it causes us to pretend. That's what they did. Did you? They hid. They hid because they were ashamed. But actually, in that place, which, don't, which comes from believing a different story, God comes looking for them. And most of us are frightened to death that somebody might find out what we are really like inside. Most of us are terrified that somebody might look into our heads and see what's actually going on, what our actual thoughts are. It's a fascinating exercise. You've got to be brave to do this, to actually write down some of your scary thoughts. Just write them down. Get them out of you. And then go, God, this is what I'm really thinking about. I don't want to think those things. And then stick them in shredder. It's a scary thought. It becomes a reality when you do that. Because if they're just thoughts going in your head, it's, oh, it's all right. You'll get them out on a piece of paper and go, God, these are my thoughts. I'll do it and delete it and double delete it or whatever. Because you won't want anybody else to see them, will you? But that's okay. But somehow there's a real power in just going, this is actually what I'm thinking. And as you write it, you go, Our words to that effect, depending on who you are and where you are. And then you go, it's okay. Jesus knows. And I'm giving it all to him. And I'm going to bin it. And I'm going to shred it. Next one. They felt rejected. Originally had a sense of belonging, of complete acceptance. When they believed a different story, there comes this crushing sense of rejection. We all carry it. And it creates us a need to be accepted. Again, what was an attribute of Adam and Eve becomes a glaring need. We have this need, this desire for somebody to accept us, to love us just as we are. Next one, they felt weak and powerless. Originally, the power of God within them to do and be all that God created them to be. But then they believe a different story. They have to rely on their own strength and their own resources. And we have that, that nagging thought that we're alone in a world that we can't control. And that's why from an early age we grow up trying to act strong and exercise some control over our lives. And what that causes us to do is to then control other people, which never goes well. But that's why we do it, because we have this deep need to be accepted. We were designed to be dependent on God. But because we don't know how to do that, we grew up trying to control our own destinies, which then results in trying to control other people, and then it all goes to pot. Next, they felt depressed and angry, which is hardly unsurprising. You see that in Genesis Chapter 4, when Cain and Abel fight and a brother murders a brother, just a few chapters on, just one chapter on. Despite all our advances, we live in an age of anxiety and depression. Now, the reason I point those things out to you is because I, it's a way of start to identifying whether you've believed a different story. Because if you if you feel that stuff, that tells you you've not believed about a certain event or part of your life. It tells you you've not believed God's story. Because if you believe God's story, you wouldn't have that emotion. Because back in the garden, in the original story, when you believe the right story, those things don't exist. And when you believe the wrong story, those things exist. So those things are there to tell you, ah, okay, I've believed a different story here. They are wonderful flags to tell you which story you've believed. 
What I find fascinating is that many people have changed what we could call the main plot and the subplot around in their stories. So you understand what I mean by a main plot? Like you've got a main thread of a story, and then around it you've got these subplots, mini-stories coming off it. And God's story, which should be the main plot, the main thread through the story, God's voice should be the main one, that's how you were designed, should be the main one. And your relationships with other people, they should be these subplots, those mini-stories going on around this main story. But many, many people, in fact nearly everybody, puts their relationships with other people as the main story and then puts God's story as a subplot around it. They swap them around. And how they interact with other people and their sense of acceptance and significance and love and care they get from other people, they make that the main plot of their story. And God's plot's the subplot that's just around it. You see, many people experience these negative emotions on a very regular basis, and they'll tell you the reason they feel like that is to do because of other people. If you listen to the story, well, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that, so-and-so didn't do this, so-and-so did... It'll all be about what other people have done to them or not done to them. But that's meant to be the subplot to your story. That's meant to be the, the kind of tiny stories around it. The main story is what God says and what God's done. But when you transpose those around, that's when it all goes wrong. And too many of us have transposed it around. If we understood that all these ways we are hurt, and we do get hurt sometimes deeply and painfully and traumatically by our fellow human beings, but if we understood they were the subplot to the story, not the main story. They were the mini-stories around the main story. No matter how you've been treated, and I am in no way trying to play down the ways you've been hurt. Believe me, I'm not. I've heard enough stories to last me a lifetime of how human beings have hurt human beings. But there is a greater story. There is a greater story. There are all the subplots which involve the people in your life, and then there's the main plot which involves you and your creator. But when you make your relationships with other people, the main plot, it means you get your significance and security and your self-esteem from your interactions with other human beings. But that's not how you were designed to be. It's just not how you were designed to be. So if you feel at any time any of those emotions, it tells you that you've been believing the wrong story about the facts. And once again, the facts can't be changed. What has happened has happened, and we need to process it. We need to ask God to heal us of the pain of it. And of course, as we move forward, we can write new chapters. But we can also rewrite some chapters by changing the main plot and the subplot around. If you feel those things, it tells me you've believed a story about who you are. That what defines you is what other human beings have done or not done, have said or not said, but that's not the real story. What other people have done to you and what you have done to other people is not what defines you. It's not the true story. There is a greater story, a more powerful story, a more beautiful story, a more releasing, redeeming, forgiving, wonderful story that is actually the main plot of your life. But we've got to learn to make that plot the main plot. And I wish I could do it by just saying a quick prayer. But it's not how it works. I wish I could. Trust me, I wish I could. I'd love to. But I can't. In order to reclaim those truths about your significance, your security, and your self-worth, you need to speak a different story. If you're going to tell a new story about the facts, then you literally have to tell a new story with your voice. And that's where the power of the word of God comes in. Because when you tell a story, your words have incredible power. We know this, don't we? 
that death and life are in the power of the tongue, it says in Proverbs. Okay? So your story, the story you tell, that's life and power. And I realize if you don't know this stuff, then when you tell your story, you actually give power to, to make it stronger. So if you continually tell the story that because you dropped out of university, therefore you're a failure and a dropout, and if every person you meet you tell that story to, you believe that story more and more. And that story becomes who you are. And what happens is it's not just you dropped out of university. What happens is you don't achieve anything because you believe you're a dropout anyway. So you go from job after job after job after job, and it all falls apart. Why? Because you've told yourself it's going to fall apart. You've already told the story about your future. But maybe there's a different story. Maybe there's a different story. In fact, not maybe. There is a different story. There's something incredibly powerful about speaking out the word of God to create a new story. And again, you know, all this stuff, and I love this. I've been talking about old and new. If you've done Freedom in Christ, what I just shared with you was Freedom in Christ, session one, in a different way. But in order to tell a new story, you have to literally tell a new story. Your voice is really powerful, and you need to use it to craft a new story. So, because you have to choose, which story am I going to believe? And it really is that simple. It, and it, it's not simple... And yet, the most simple things actually are often the most profound things. And it really is that simple. So have we got that next slide there, Josh? You see, this is, this is God's study about you. You're no longer worthless, inadequate, helpless, or hopeless. That's not you. It's not you. It's just not you. You are deeply significant and special. You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You're a branch of the true vine. Jesus is a channel of his life. You have been chosen and appointed by God to bear fruit. You are a personal, spirit-empowered witness of Christ. You are a temple of God. You are a minister of reconciliation for God. You are his fellow worker, and you are seated with him in the heavenly realms. You are his workmanship created for good works, and you may approach God with freedom and confidence because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's your story. Next one. You are no longer guilty, unprotected, alone, or abandoned. In him you are totally secure. You are free forever from condemnation. You are assured that all things work together for good. You are free from any condemning charges against you. You cannot be separated from the love of God, and you have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. You are confident that the good work God has begun in you will be perfected because you are a citizen of heaven who is hidden with Christ in God. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind, and you can find grace and mercy to help in times of me because you are born of God, and the evil one cannot touch you. You see, it has power, doesn't it? Next one. You are no longer rejected, unloved, or dirty. You are completely accepted because you are God's child. You are Christ's friend. You have been justified. You are united with the Lord, and you are one spirit with him. You have been bought with a price, and you belong to God. You are a member of his body, a saint, a holy one. You've been adopted as his child. You have direct access to him through the Holy Spirit, and you have been redeemed and forgiven for all your sins, and you are complete in Jesus Christ. That's your story. That's your story. No other story. That's your story. And you see, when you give over your inferior stories and you spend time giving them over, not just the big, huge events that you know made an impact, but the little stories 
the little interactions, the little bits and pieces, then you can read that. And you kind of go, oh, yes. And what little chest you've got goes out. And <laughs> I should get Joe up here. He's got a much better chest than me. But then again, he goes to the gym at 6 o'clock most mornings than I do, so... <laughs> But you see, I knew there was a reason I picked on you, Matt, not Peter. But you see, if you spend time, you look different. Yeah, but it's true. If you spend time, you look different. If you do something different, you get a change. I did go from a 36 to a 38 when I went, but anyway. So proud when I tried a 36 jacket on and it didn't fit. I was like, yes. <laughs> they were like, what are you doing? Like, Anyways, I don't know why we're going there. The point. <laughs> See, insecurities, they're everywhere. The point. <laughs> Sorry, right. I know he loves me. I know he loves me. But the point is, you have to. You, I can say them and you can go, yes, amen. And, and it's wonderful that you do because you're agreeing with it. But actually, the only. When you stand on a daily basis and look in that mirror and just go, oh, yes, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. And I realize, this is an interesting thing, actually. You realize I read that list and I'm like, oh. But, but I didn't used to be like that. That wasn't me at all. That's the truth of it. It just wasn't me at all. I was, I wasn't like that at all. Ten years ago, I, I just... That was alien to act like that. I would have been, I would have been going, uh, yeah, I'm God's, I'm God's child, and I'm Christ's friend, and I've been justified, and I've got direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Like, no, it's true though. It's true. That's, it's true, because I didn't know it then. He went deep in my spirit. He went deep in my heart. He went there. But now, because I've done it in various ways and many times over the years, now it is there. And now I do it, and I feel it, and I sense it, and, I, and I, I can say it like I say it. And you can tell I mean it, can't you? They're not just words, I mean it. But that's because they, they've become not just words, they've become a life. Because there were words for a long time, and then they became life. But they've got to become words. They've got to become words. So all those verses, are they at the back, Margaret? Yeah, all those words are all printed out. They can just pick them up as they leave. It's all the whatever. So there you go, I'll print them all out for you. So if you want to take and take them away, but the truth is that's your story, and and what you've what's important is that you take some time, and you know it takes what three or four minutes to read that, maybe five maximum if you read it a bit slower. And I know it's so it feels like such a rubbish solution, doesn't it? Like really, I'm just going to read these words, and that's going to make a difference. And I realise it seems ridiculous, is it? But honestly, it's the truth. The simplest things that God didn't make this life hard. No, honestly, he, did, he didn't make it complicated and difficult and hard. We've made it hard and complicated and difficult. He made it really simple. There's your story. There's my story. Which are you going to believe? That's it. It's that simple. Oh, well, maybe I should believe your story. Maybe this thought I've had that I'm whatever, maybe that's my story and maybe that's not your story and maybe you've got a better story. Well, there's no maybe's about it. It's just all true. So... I'm, I'm going to 
Hi, Vice, could we all stand? And Steve, would you just come and play anything? <laughs> Not country, though. We don't upset too many people. He just, you know, I like country as well, but I might start kind of, and I don't want to. I didn't, I didn't think I were going to pray, but then, then I talked about that whole sense of failure and going from job to job and and I felt I want that started wanting me notes at all and I felt like I said it for a reason and I felt like it might have connected with somebody that you might have at that moment just kind of gone yeah that's me and I'm keeping my eyes real real close shut I want everybody just facing on me okay I'm not going to ask you to come or anything but I just I sense God wants to connect with you he wants to touch you he wants to show you that he's real. He wants to show you that he's got a new story. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything because I don't think that's right this time, but I am just going to pray for you. And if that's not you, just agree with my prayer, okay? Father, I just want to lift up, Lord. Lord, anybody who feels like that, anybody whose story has been about failure, Father, maybe they actually did drop out from university, I have no idea, Father, or dropped out from something, Lord. But Lord, anybody whose story has been a story of failure and, and they've seen themselves go from place to place to place, Father, I want to lift them up to you right now, Father. And I ask that right where they are, you would touch them by your Holy Spirit, Father. Lord, I ask the love of God would overflow them, Father. Lord, in all its grace and love and might and strength, Father, would you minister to them right now. And Lord, I ask that you would, they would just know the love of God's on them and in them and through them and around them, Father. for all of us Lord Lord we, we I know we, we want to know the fullness of you Jesus and Lord we realise our inferior stories they get in the way they stop us Father they stop us knowing who you really are and Father we want to say sorry Lord when we've believed a different story Lord we believed a different version of events that just ain't true Father Lord we've sat in in, 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 in shame and, and guilt and, and fear and felt weak and powerless Father and, and Lord that's not your story and Jesus, I am asking, Father, that we'd have breakthroughs, Lord, that as we pick up these words, Father, there would be a, a, in, 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 imbibed, I don't even know what that word means, but imbibed with supernatural power, Father, that, Lord, it wouldn't just be a reading of a word, but, Father, you say when we read your word, it won't come back void, Father. It'll make a difference, Lord. And I'm asking, Father, for the power of your word to come forth, Lord, as we pick up your word, Father, and we say it, Lord, and we speak it, and we literally tell a different story. I am asking, Lord, that your anointing of the Holy Spirit would do miraculous, wonderful things, Father. I'm asking for freedom, Father. I'm asking for new things, Father, because you promised you were making it all new, Father. And I'm asking for new things, Lord. New freedom and new life, Lord, and new expression, Father, and new breakthroughs, Father, I'm asking for it, Father, that as we would choose to hear and tell your story, Lord, that we would see it in a whole new light, Father, in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.